and good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or physician, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to yet another episode of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I'm going to share with you in this one a question I get asked very often. Hey, genius, if you're so smart, what would you build if you had to build a group? Hmm, a lot of answers to that question. Get your pad and pen ready for another wonderful cup of that Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. Thank you so much for joining me for a few minutes on today's show. This is one that I'd kind of been looking forward to recording for a while, and I couldn't figure out when to wedge it into our uh, uh, to our repertoire of uh, podcasts. And, and this is a question I get asked frequently or some derivation of it, which is, what do you think I should do? What would you do if you had to build a group practice on your own? Sometimes it's it's a question that's asked that directly, and others uh, other times it's somebody asking me a question. Hey, this is what I'm thinking. What do you think about this? And I like to tell people I could answer every question with "It depends," but I decided that I probably shouldn't record a podcast called "It Depends." Doesn't make any sense, does it? So here is the way I think about building a group practice, creating competitive advantage and really what would matter most to me. And this is not the answer. It is not the Polaris way of doing things. Again, it does depend, and it depends on a lot of things. And most notably, it depends upon you. This is all about me, and it's also probably a function of where I am at this point in my life, being 53 years old. I also want to answer this question as if I were... One, if I were a, a healthcare services provider, dentist, or otherwise, um, and if I were probably, let's say, 15 to 20 years younger, all right, probably 15 years younger, say I'm in my mid to late 30s, um, a really good clinician, I've got a lot of clinical confidence, um, I don't have a tremendous amount of debt load right now, or maybe I'm paying it down at a reasonable clip, um, I've I've got the confidence to own and operate a business and and I've I've taken a couple of punches. You know, so I've had some experience in life. I'm probably building off of a point of confidence the way I look at my career going forward. Um and I'm I'm also eyes wide open about the fact that you know, as a healthcare services provider, it's really challenging to operate a small business of any sort and to have a traditional uh solo practice uh, with the competitive pre- competitive pressures of the marketplace, meaning enterprise level groups that are usually private equity backed and professionally managed, uh, somewhat of the fickle nature of uh, patients these days, especially viewing dentistry, uh, general dentistry at least, as a commodity almost, um, and the the way the market is changing from the way people um, go about. Uh, 
procuring healthcare services and, and ultimately paying for them as well. I think all of that wrapped into a nutshell sort of forces you, if you're in your you know, early to mid-career, to contemplate building a group practice. Y'all have heard me talk about this in a roundabout manner of speaking numerous times. Um, and I just think if you've built a successful solo practice and you've got 20 to 30 years to go, you got to be eyes wide open about competitive pressures and your ability to sustain that level of success for 20 to 30 years. And, and when I say that level of success, I'm really talking about cash flow for you and your family on an income basis. So that gets more challenging the further down the road we go as the industry consolidates more and more. So what would I do if I were, uh, let's just say a dentist, a general dentist, and I were giving myself advice in my mid to late 30s, possibly early 40s, early to mid career phase? What would I do? How would I do it? And maybe more importantly, why would I do it? Well, the what piece for me um, is one that uh, it really comes down to what I call the large footprint solo practice. I've had the, the good fortune of working with a lot of successful entrepreneurial dentists, for the most part, um, who have created large uh, multi-op practices all under one roof. Um, some, you know, in the high teens in terms of number of operatories, mid twenties, I've, I've even got one that's in the mid to high thirties, all under one roof. Um, and those businesses have a lot of competitive advantages. Um, if they are run correctly, you take a lot of advantage of the fixed cost structure of the business. You have the opportunity to uh, it usually generates more revenue, obviously, and hopefully more profitability if if you can manage to your fixed cost basis, um, and therefore you can usually afford to reinvest more dollars into marketing services, drive more new patients, and then recapture some of the specialty revenue uh, aspects when and where you want to. So that all under one roof type thing, especially if it's a very big roof, has a lot of competitive advantages. That being said. Nobody in their right mind does a 35-op de novo from scratch. That just doesn't happen, right? You have to grow into it. And I think it's also um, uh, a very large undertaking in a lot of ways to say I'm going to build a 20-op or 30-op or a business like that all under one roof. And so I think when we talk about uh, a larger footprint uh, solo practice, or a larger footprint practice, I might scale it back, if you will, uh, to something around the, the lines of, say, 12 to 16 operatories. Um, we see a healthy amount of eight, six to eight op, eight to 10 op type practices, and they are um, excellent, you know. But if you want to build a multi-location group, if that's your, your end-all, be-all, you might want to go for more operatories than that. And I think 12 to 16 ops is probably a sweet spot. And, you know, I think that if done correctly, this is probably a business that under that one roof of 12 to 16 ops is somewhere three to 5 million in revenue, maybe four to 6 million in revenue. Um, pretty, pretty heady amount of revenue uh, under one roof. Um, probably if I were um, mid-career, I would end up, uh, wanting to to build this type of a business where I would still be working clinically um, and probably in the 
two days a week, maybe three days a week standpoint, um, but still a very active clinician, not a full-time clinician, but um, probably two to three days a week, uh, especially doing the type of services, uh, clinical uh, work that I enjoy doing, whatever that may be, um, because I'm not a clinical dentist. I'm not going to give any commentary on that. But this is also a business that if run correctly um, and managed appropriately, you know, should be generating somewhere five to six hundred grand in EBITDA on the low end, probably eight hundred to a million in EBITDA on the high end, and and that's a very profitable endeavor all under one roof, especially when I am still working clinically. So if I'm still working clinically a couple of days a week, I'm normalizing my clinical compensation. So the EBITDA volume that I gave you on the low end, five to six hundred on the high end, eight hundred to a million, is after taking into account the clinical services that I provide, normalizing that clinical compensation. So I would say a very well-run business. It's a, it's a business that has some degree of size and scale to it. And it is also a business that we don't fall out of a tree and land in one. And nobody has uh, starts out with a, a four to five op type of a business uh, and says, hey, I'm going to just, you know, go, I'm going to take a flyer and I'm going to build a 16-op practice off of it. you got to have a lot of guts to do that, to basically all but triple the capacity and think that you're going to grow into it. So, you know, the next question is, okay, genius, you said 12 to 16 operatories. Well, how are you going to do that? So I think that's really where the rubber meets the road. And most of us start out in something akin to four to six operatories. Uh, and we we build really good businesses in four to six ops. And we may have an associate or a part-time associate or something like that. But all too often, we tend to find that we we have fixed constraints. And by that, I mean, it's probably not a freestanding six operatory building. It's probably landlocked in some way. You got a tenant on either side or you can't blow out a wall or you know, you just, you kind of bump up against your capacity essentially, and you're stuck there. So once we decide that we're stuck and we need to get a little bit bigger, and then maybe if our vision is to build into 12 to 16 operatories, then what do we do with that? Well, I think that's when we start looking for another four to six op practice to acquire. And this is something that again, is going to take us a year or two, probably more to find the right practice to acquire. And once we do acquire it and we start to operate that business, whether the seller stays on board or not, it's a totally different conversation. But, you know, we want to make sure that we can operate that second business to a great degree as effectively as we've done our core practice. And as we as we gain success in doing that, now we have two locations, similar size and construct to both, probably similar style dentistry, similar clinical philosophies, and the systems and processes that we have created in our core business, we can extrapolate into that second one. As we're gaining some level of confidence in, in that coming together in now two locations, we're probably looking in the general uh, geography around those two locations for some type of an opportunity to build something bigger. Again, 12 to 16 ops would be the way I would think about it. Now, once again, you can say, well, hey, Perrin, that's 
to six operatory practices and you're going to go 12 to 16 ops, what are you going to do with the balance of the capacity there? It's a really good question, I think. So while we are looking for that uh, available um, uh, square footage or land or what have you to, to build our 12 to 16 operatory practice, we're probably looking for a third or possibly even a fourth practice to acquire from a chart merger standpoint. We talk about acquiring uh, additional locations from a, uh, a geography, a dots on a map standpoint. This is one where there are a lot of senior dentists that have declining practices um, that we wouldn't want to buy. There's not a lot of asset value to it, but the charts and records themselves are worth something from a, a patient continuity standpoint. And this may be something that as we build a 12 to 16 op practice, and merge our two existing practices into it, we also have the opportunity to merge charts and records from one or possibly two additional practices into that business. Obviously, we would have to end up uh, probably recruiting at least one, possibly two additional associates as well. But this would be something where you could kind of quickly build the capacity and hopefully quickly fill the capacity to, to go from two locations of six ops into one that might be uh, one location of 16 operatories and really not miss a beat. I know it's it's harder to do than what I just verbalized, but that's the general thought process behind it, where you end up taking two practices, merging them into one, all under one roof, uh, and also uh, merging some additional charts into one to create more of a world beater practice that is uh, a, lar a lot larger and and one that is still not excessively cumbersome to manage because you have everything under one roof. So this is kind of the general train of thought in terms of how I would go about it. It's not a foolproof strategy by any stretch, uh, but it's one that's more methodical in terms of building blocks to get there. Now, how long might that take? Well, you know, it, it would probably be a three to five year um, endeavor. It'd probably be a three to five year goal to build into and kind of start putting those pieces together of a jigsaw puzzle, if you will. Why would I do that? Like, why, what's the train of thought around what I just kind of verbalized to you? Um, and I think there are a lot of whys to it, at least, or, or positive why aspects to it, at least from my perspective. One is that it builds off of strengths, all right? Strengths being the opportunity to have all of the chaos involved with building a larger business under one roof. There is a lot to be said for that. Some of the strengths are the systems and the operational systems and processes that I have developed in my core business that are now extrapolated into the second location. So again, this is, is systematic strength or operational strength. Another facet to this that is, I was going to say equally important, maybe it's even more important, is clinical strengths. Anyone who's built a multi-location group um, will tell you that it is really challenging to mentor young associates, whether they've just come out of school or residency or a failed associateship or moved to the area or something like that. But it's really hard to mentor young associates in disparate locations. Clinical mentorship is worth its weight in gold, and it also almost always results in greater levels of productivity 
and better levels of consistency of outcome from a clinical perspective, I mean. So if you have the ability to be the, the founder of the business, and if you are working, let's just say two days a week clinically yourself, and you're adding associates methodically as the business volume continues to grow, usually from new patients or those types of chart mergers, you know, you're probably going to be the chief clinical officer. You are probably going to be the lead clinical mentor. You may not be cutting crown preps five days a week, but you might be in the clinic five days a week working with your younger associates. And that type of shoulder-to-shoulder mentorship and uh, consistency um, is is a really fast ramp to overall productivity, and you stand a better chance of achieving that in a larger footprint practice. So I think there's the business systems and processes on the the operational side of the house and then it's the clinical philosophies systems processes efficacy all that other kind of stuff on the clinical side of the house you play a role in both of that but chances are only you can play a role in the clinical side of it and i think that's a critical piece of of the success of the business i think i mentioned earlier usually these businesses are generating greater levels of revenue and greater levels of, of uh operating cash flow or ebitda And so it stands to reason that you have the opportunity to reinvest more marketing dollars in the business for new patient growth, um, as well as some some level of recapturing the the specialty types of revenue streams when and where you want to. Um, You know, it's the growth rate on a business like this is somewhat more methodical since it is all under one roof. And I would I would also say that even though it would require borrowing money to build out a larger facility. While the the debt volume in terms of dollars might be greater, the leverage ratio compared to, to EBITDA um, or, or free cash flow aspects post-debt service is probably much more favorable. Um, and, and I think that's still um, you know, a, a, a significant positive uh, as we think about a larger footprint practice like that. You know, the other thing to, to point out that can't be understated is that a business of that size, might, and volume is in no way dependent upon one uh, provider. So the provider dependency piece of having, you know, multiple four and five op uh, locations goes out the window when you have three or four of them literally all under one roof. Um, so that to me is a, a de-risk piece of it. And I think it really uh, stands to reason that it would be a great outcome to create. So I said that's like a three to five year outcome, you know, to probably get all that done. Uh, could be more, could be less. Um, but the, if I were giving myself uh, advice or, or guidance and, and I was in my mid-30s, maybe 40, something like that, I'm thinking about my career in, let's call it five-year chunks well, then maybe I would do this same trick multiple times. You know, maybe every five years uh, after I had consolidated and perfected this one that I, I just verbalized building, maybe I'd go out and in the next five years, look for another two locations to acquire and uh, a plot of dirt or some uh, physical space where I could get 12 to 16 operatories in it and a couple of practices on the decline that might be chart mergers. And maybe I would do that same trick a third time as I was turning 50 to 55. So at the end of the the run, 
where I am presently at 53, it may be that I would end up with something like three 12 to 16 operatory practices, each generating four to six million in revenue, uh, 700 to 900 grand in EBITDA. You know, that's a business that probably has somewhere between about 45 and 60 operatories. And when all said and done, it's probably generating on the low end 12 million in revenue and, you know, maybe on the high end 17, 18 million in revenue. That's a it's pretty advantageous business to build. And it's a pretty methodical way to do it over uh, a longer term horizon. And I tend to think about I tell people when they when they talk about their 20 year grand design, I, I always you know congratulate them about that. It does take a lot of thought. But at the same time, I say you might want to break this down into five-year chunks because what you'll find is that the world changes a lot over every three to five years. It's hard to see when you're in it, but looking back on it, you can definitely connect the dots, and it may be that you need to uh, course correct accordingly. But from my perspective, if I had to give myself advice, if I were a clinical dentist in this construct and I were looking at where I was 35 to 40 years old and where I might want to be when I'm 50 to 55 years old, you probably got a good idea into how I look at it. I hope that gives you a little bit of clarity in the way you might want to look at some things as you start planning your 2024 and the years to come. And certainly if you want to talk any more about it, feel free to reach out to me directly at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Stick around. I'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. Thanks so much, everybody, once again, for joining me on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast again today. I I hope you got a little bit of uh, insight into the way that I think about competitive strategy, business, uh, strategic planning, and some of the like. Those are questions that I get quite often, and I thought you might be able to, to glean a little bit from the way that I would think about things if I were in your shoes. Or you can just delete this episode, not like it never happened. One thing you can't delete is our Accelerate 2024 conference. And if some of what I talked about um, strikes a fancy with you, you might want to join us in Puerto Rico, April 24th through 27th for Accelerate 2024. This is a conference focused on five to 50 location groups, those that are on the low end, probably five to seven million in revenue and on upwards from there. It is all about built for scale. It's about centralizing administrative services. It's about doctor development, certainly financial reporting from a balance sheet perspective. What are the tips and tricks about bringing on a professional leadership team, a C-suite leadership team? And where do people go wrong in some of their hiring cycle? There'll be a lot more to cover than that, but it's a tease right now as we line up a lot of our coming speakers. Registration is open. I will link to the information in the show notes. And I hope that you can take the time to join us in sunny Puerto Rico late April this year for Accelerate 2024. Really appreciate all the accolades we get on behalf of the show and on behalf of all the work we do with all of you out in the field. And I certainly look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Cheers, everybody. Cheers.